Welcome to another awesome episode of Above Board with Canderpath. I am one third of your hosting trio, Matt Marku, and uh, today John and Rich have the day off. I let them stay home. They've been doing all the heavy lifting on these shows. So uh, they were finally like, Matt, you got to come in, step in and uh, work your magic. So that's what I'm here to do. But I'm not here solo. I know they can do solo podcasts. They can stare at themselves and talk for 15 minutes on an amazing topic, which I always get a lot out of. But I need help. And so to for today, I have a very special guest. I have Mackenzie Herbert here in studio, and we are going to talk all things CFP. And that stands for Certified Financial Planner. And Mackenzie is in the process of obtaining her and Raina Fitzgerald in our office are actually together uh, working to obtain their Certified Financial Planning designation. And what I really thought we could do on today's show was we get so many phone calls. We get so many conversations from clients and clients who have kids and nieces and nephews are like, Matt, how do we get into this profession? It's really, really difficult. And I thought today we would have a really cool conversation about what it takes to become a CFP, what are the steps involved, and uh, have it from really two unique perspectives. One from from someone who is just now entering this profession and someone who is very seasoned and going on his 20th plus year in this profession and figure we can come up with something in the middle about how someone would enter uh, and, and what does the career projection look like for someone becoming a certified financial planner. So help me welcome to our show, Miss Mackenzie Herbert. Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, I am so excited to be doing this podcast with you and talking about this topic because it's it's so relevant right now in in my life and yours actually in our career. <laughs> it is it's what we do all day long. Like the guys want me to come on the show all the time and talk about things, and they want to talk about like goal planning and like all of the like mind headspace. And I'm like, I'm an expert in nothing in this world <laughs> except being a financial planner. It's all I know how to do. It's all I can feel like I can talk about. I feel like I have imposter syndrome when I talk mm-hmm. about anything else on the show. It sometimes. Uh, so I feel so comfortable talking about what we do every day. Mackenzie and I are a team uh, and we work with, um, you know, all the clients here at Canderpath or majority of the clients here at Canderpath uh, together, along with Michael Scott, John Kennedy, Raina, and then of course, Megan, who we've talked about before on our show, kind of keeps us all together uh, as she heads up our operation. So today, again, I want to talk about becoming a certified financial planner. And first, let's just talk about what that is. A certified financial planner is someone who in our industry has passed and has obtained a designation uh, that really certifies them in being, quote unquote, an expert in really four to five major categories. And that involves taxation, risk management, retirement planning, uh, investment, and estate planning. I've always described the profession as, in, or at least the test or in becoming a CFP, as an inch deep and a mile wide. You know, if you want to go deep with investments, you would be like Michael Scott and get your chartered financial analyst designation, where that is very deep in one of these particular areas. Um, and if you want to become an estate planning expert, you might become an attorney so you can draft these estate planning documents. The role of a certified financial planner is really to serve as the quarterback between all of the professionals, and we have to know a little bit about everything. Now, in the United States right now, there is about 95,000 certified financial planners, which I think, as I say, it sounds like a lot, but as a percentage of our population and and uh, you know the amount of probably financial planners out there in the U.S., doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot. Now, I do have a question for you, Mackenzie. 
Of those 95,000, how many are female? I don't Cannot know. Google. That I don't know. You want me to guess? I do. I want you to guess. You can either do a percentage or a number amount, but but help me out. The number that you're giving is like, it's a number. It's not a percentage. 95,000 I'm going to give you a number. Yeah, I can't do the percent. Well, I can do percentages. I am a certified financial planner, but no, I'm not going to. I'm going to do numbers. I don't know because I want the number to be high, but I feel like it's not high. So I want to say like maybe 35,000. Okay. You are really close. It's 22,000. So it's even lower okay. than what you thought. And I think that really shows the need for diversity in our profession. Um, now, mm-hmm. going back to what you and Raina are doing, one of the core competencies and one of our one of our major core values of Candorpath is to be a student of your craft. Now, to become a financial planner, you do not need really any designation at all. It's a little scary that all you have to do is put a mm-hmm. sign outside your door and say, I'm a financial planner, and you can start in this profession. What I really love about being a CFP is one is it sort of differentiates you from someone who just literally throws a sign at on your front door and says, I, I think I can do this. The second thing it does is it requires a minimum amount of years in the industry in order to have this designation, which I feel like is really powerful. If you're a really good test taker, I mean, you could sit for the test, but what you can't you can't get over is the fact that you need to have a certain number of years, which I think is three at this point. Um, it's not a whole ton, but you have to have three years in the industry in order to be able to use this designation. The designation also holds us up to a higher standard, which is the fiduciary standard, the big, the big F word in our industry, which is not the one you're probably thinking when I just said that, um, but it's fiduciary. And fiduciary means you are putting the client's interests ahead of your own. And if you don't do that, you are in super big trouble and you'll lose all the work that you've done throughout the years. All of that will go away. So I want to talk to Mackenzie today about, um, first of all, where, what you thought your career path was going to be. Let's maybe start there because I don't think you started off saying, I want to be a financial planner. Yeah, no, it actually, I wish I could say that like I always knew what I wanted to do, but I, I did not actually all through college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I, I think that's why like I went for a general business degree because I felt like I could use that in so many different areas when I did decide. And in college, I started working in real estate because my family had background in the real estate industry and the title industry. So I just went for that because I thought, you know, this is a good way to like start out in the the real world and getting a real job. And I thought I was set there, but I was not. I wasn't. I didn't enjoy it the way that I thought I would, the way that my family has. So I just started like looking for other jobs. And I actually, I saw the job posting for Canderpath so many times. Like, I think I've shared this story a few times, but I just kept scrolling past it because I was like, I have no experience. I have no idea what I would be doing. Like, I just, I didn't feel like I would have what it takes to do it, but I just kept seeing it pop up like every day I, w- I would be scrolling, looking for different jobs. And I just kept seeing Canderpath. And I was like, let me just, let me give it a shot. Like, let me try and see. It keeps popping up. It must, it must like something is speaking to me. So I clicked it, I applied and I just like, I feel like it was just like a perfect match, you know, like I didn't have any experience in the financial industry, but just like working with all of you, it's like, it's shifted so much into like what I want to do, you know, like, and everything that, you know, goes into this can be, can be learned, can be trained, you know, it's nothing that like, 
nobody can't do it. You just have to learn. And I think that's what I've like tried to teach myself because, you know, in college, this was not even on my like radar. You know, I never in a million years thought I would be in the financial planning industry, but it's so important. Like being in it now and like learning all the things that I'm learning. I'm like, everything that we're learning is so relevant to my day-to-day life, my, my family, you know, my future. And it's so important to know. And then just to keep like, you know, helping other people who want to learn it too. I'm just like, this is. Yeah. It's super rewarding. I, I I've always equated this to like sort of the health industry, not, not that we're doctors, um, but maybe doctors of finance, right? You know, we're we're always trying to solve a problem, or mm-hmm. someone's bleeding out, and we need to sew a wound up, or sometimes we just need to tell people to have healthy habits uh, about what they're doing. I was very much the same way. I got my degree in general business. Um, well, actually, no, I got it in finance. I, I was general business at first, mm-hmm. and then really started to enjoy the financial side of it. And so, my degree uh, from UCF is is in finance, but I yeah. didn't know really what I wanted to do until I started exploring this industry. What I found though was the barrier to entry was a really was really high. I feel like with most professions like if it's a CPA or or a physician there's like a tract, right? Like you you go get a degree, then you uh, maybe have like an internship or you start working in and shadowing, maybe you're you're you know working as a plumber or working as an electrician. Like there's these tracks where you're like the greenhorn, right? The new guy and you're you're kind of watching what's going on. And I feel like this industry I was 22 and then I was like, okay, it's time to work with 65 year olds and tell them what to do with their money. I mean, I kind of knew what I was doing because I I just got a degree and I felt like, okay, I I can regurgitate some of the things I learned in my books, but sitting in front of someone who has lived their life and me telling them what to do or trying to put myself in their shoes was really, really difficult. And the only answer to that, Mackenzie, was time was, you know, again, I just mentioned this is my 20th year of doing this. I've had some clients here longer than I've lived half of my life, right? Like I've had clients when I was in my twenties that are still clients to today. And I've seen them continue. I can see them grow. And in two cases, which is really special to me uh, between John and myself and Michael is we have two groups of clients where we manage four living generations worth of money, like great, great grandma, then grandma, then the parents, then the kids. And then in some cases, like the ch- the children opening up like a college savings. And so mm-hmm. for seeing that, like there's so many rewarding things about this industry. It has very little to do with the money. It has everything to do with being helpful. And, uh, and that's really what attracted me to it was like, I can have a positive impact on someone's life. And again, I, I don't know anything about the health profession. That would be something we would <laughs> include Rich on, but <laughs> to be able to say you're healthy financially for me was, was like, like sort of that reward. So talk to me about where did that change take place? Where were you like, okay, I'm working for Canterpath. I'm working in client services. I'm doing just a little bit of everything. Where was it like, I'm ready now to take that next step and really study the craft. What, what was, was there, was there like one light bulb moment? Was there one turning point? Where was it for you? Honestly, I don't think it was just one moment. I know like coming into Canterpath, you know, I was asked a lot by you guys, like what, you know, I wanted out of this or what, like if I wanted to pursue anything. And I remember like sitting in my interviews and just being so fresh, you know, and just being like, I'm not sure where I want this to go. Like, I just know that I want to work for a good company with a good group. And, you know, I found that through Candor Path. And I think just, you know, learning 
all the things that I'm learning today and in working with all of you, it's just like, it isn't one thing. It was just a bunch of little things that I noticed as I was doing it. Like, wow, like, you know, I think about this stuff in my personal life with my husband and we talk about this kind of stuff, you know, and in, in our, in our personal finance and everything and, and just being able to do it and to help other people and seeing how important it is, you know, I was just like, this is what I want to do. Like, I talk about it all the time in my own home. Like, why wouldn't I want to do it for my career, you know, and be able to help other people and, and shine the light on these things that are important. And honestly, too, it's like all of these things, I feel like I could use my, my in-laws as an example, you know, like all the things that we're doing as a company is, is something that I've heard my in-laws say like that they need, you know, at one point or another. And just knowing that like, all of these things can impact so many different people and, and help so many different people. And they're so relevant to everybody's lives. I'm like this to me, like this is an important career that I would like to pursue and then shed more light on and, and, you know, advocate for more people to, to learn about this kind of stuff, you know, because it is so, so true. It impacts everyone. It, it, the way that they handle their money it's really shocking to me when I look like at college courses and I think it's starting to become more relevant is that there's not a mandate for personal finance, right? You know, whether you come out and you do something completely different, whether you're an educator, whether you're, um, you know, a physician, whether you're an attorney, you know, so many people don't come out of school. They learn their profession, they learn their trade, but they don't learn how to balance. Well, really balancing a checkbook is sort of the old school way of doing it. I know there's someone <laughs> listening that would say like, I still balance my checkbook, but you know, <laughs> being able to budget and being able to organize their, their financial uh, life. I've always talked to you about what were the two main things when we talk to clients, it's do you have a budget and do you have organization? Now, those are the two like foundational principles of finance that has nothing mm -hmm. to do with stocks or bonds. Like we haven't even yeah. got to that point yet. It's, do you know where your money is going and do you have a way to track it? it it's really mm -hmm. almost as simple as if you can do those two things, you're probably halfway to where you need to be in terms of having a financial foundation. And then yeah. everything kind of builds on, on top of those. Oh, yeah. So I think, I feel like the same way with you is I, it was a way to have a profession that touches a lot of people in mostly a positive manner. Um, certainly there are cases that we see that we're trying to dig out of a hole or something not like real positive, but and mm -hmm. the clients that we work with, which I think is really important, is who we take on are people who are willing to accept our our advice and someone who's willing to listen. And that's a really important part of this because we can preach so much about financial literacy, but if you're not willing to take it or you're, you're, there's friction behind it, then that's that's a recipe for disaster. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's go to CFP, right? So again, we talked about this on the onset of the show. Anyone can be a financial planner. You don't even need a degree. You just need to say, hey, today I'm a financial <laughs> planner and start an Instagram page or whatever. But to become a certified financial planner, it's a pretty comprehensive program, right? So mm -hmm. let's kind of talk through, again, you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, my niece, my nephew, uh, my child wants wants to pursue this this industry. What What needs to happen? Um, and in most cases, to become a certified financial planner, at least nowadays, you do need to have a four-year degree. And it really doesn't matter what that four-year degree is in. It's just a four-year degree. You must have a bachelor's degree in order to be able to, to sit and to, to have CFP after name once you've passed the exam. Okay. Um, so again, for you, check. We have a four-year degree. We're good to go there. The next yeah. thing we have to do is begin the, the coursework studying. And let's talk about what that looks like. You're just very, at the very infancy of the coursework. Talk to me about what the next year looks like for you 
in terms of taking classes and almost what is essentially getting a master's degree, except it's not through a university, it's through a certification program, but it almost equates to that with the course of work and, and the expectations uh, that, are, that are put on you from the CFP board. Let's talk about that. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely going to be a heavy course load. Um, I know you mentioned earlier that Raina, who also works with us on our team, her and I are going to be doing this together. And there's a couple different ways that you can, you know, pursue the CFP as far as your coursework goes. Um, they have, you know, a self-study version. They have an actual class that you can go to with a, a professor or teacher that, that can teach it to you, or you can do it, you know, all online as well. Raina and I, after looking through all the different types of classes and in, in our schedules and our workload, um, we're going to do the self-study. So, you know, we're going to do it on our own together and provided with all of our course materials. And we will have like pre-recorded lectures for us. Um, but we actually will start that July 3rd. So, you know, I think it's probably like, I want to say it's a year long course. So we'll start in July. We should probably end like in the fall next year. But yeah, we're, we've set a, we've decided that we're going to like set aside some time each week to get together to study, but we're also going to be mentored by you. I by charge hourly for my mentoring <laughs> fee. So <clears throat> just know you'll get a bill from me in the mail. It's mm, love that. Right actually, Raina's <laughs> might be a little bit more because she asks a lot more questions. Than you. We'll, no, we'll see. We're going to be mentored by Matt. John and Michael uh, every Friday just to, you know, because we are doing a self-study version. So we're going to be essentially teaching ourselves with the coursework provided to us. But having, you know, Matt, John and Michael that we work with every day at our disposal, we'll just be able to ask them questions, you know, if they pop up or go over a case study with them and let them to be able to explain it to us. And also, you know, we're doing this in real time in our day-to-day, -day, you know, work life. So, also to be able to like take what we're learning in the class and the course, and then also just like bring it back to an actual, you know, client that we're working with in real time. It'll just, to me, I think I wouldn't want to do it any other way because the way that I learn best is by doing. So, you know, to be able to learn this, but then do it in real time. I feel like to me, that's the best way for me to to retain the information that I'm learning. I totally agree. I mean, I, f I find being able to read something in a book and then come back and say, okay, like, how does this work in real life? Was, yeah. was able to connect the dots to, to the profession from what you're reading in a book. We mm -hmm. talked about at the outset of, of when I uh, opened the podcast was the, the main core classes, right? So we talked about, you know, risk management, which is insurance, um, investments, uh, taxation, retirement planning, um, estate planning, um, of that list, what gives you the most anxiety? Where do you feel like the most amount of work is going to go in from uh, a studying standpoint, or the, it's going to present the largest challenge for you? Truthfully, I feel like the investment aspect, just because I feel like it's so, you know, it's so deep, you know, what is the term you use in the beginning of this? It, the financial oh, it's planning. Oh, like inch deep and a mile wide. But yeah. I think with the investments, it goes probably further than an inch. Yeah, it's it's a lot of information. And I think just 
being so new to the industry and not, you know, having enough information on my end. I think it's just, that's the biggest challenge I'm up against. But I felt the same way going into, you know, this, this year's tax season. I was very nervous going into it, but after we did it, like, I'm like, I love it. Like I, I, I love doing tax work, which I feel like I'm probably the first person to ever admit. That. <laughs> me and you. <laughs> no one else ever says that. That's why me and you are the only two that do it. Yeah. But, um, but no, yeah, I, I am nervous about it, but I'm also very excited to be able to learn it, you know, and, and just have that under my belt because I feel like the more you learn, the, the better you, you are. So, yeah. so, so let's talk about the test itself. Um, so you will, you will, uh, go through each one of these modules and these modules are probably a couple months long each where it's a process of learning the information and then probably taking some sort of a test at the end of each one of those. That's not a, a test for the actual exam, but a test to make sure you understand the material associated with that module. So now let's get to the test itself. So mm-hmm. we're talking 170 multiple choice questions, three different question types. There's going to be standalone, short scenario, and case studies. Let's talk about the test itself. It's, let's see, three hours. And uh, it's a beast. Just to just to date myself, my test was taken on a piece of paper. So it had like, I don't think a Scantron, you probably don't even know what a Scantron is. Uh, maybe you do. I do know what a Scantron is. Okay. It wasn't <laughs> quite a Scantron, but it was something very similar to a Scantron. And then it took me, I think, four months to get my actual results because it was like physically mailed. This was a thousand years ago, like a whole other <laughs> lifetime ago. So I think this day and age, it is a live click a button. Now here's, there's a good news, bad news with what I'm about to tell you. So I looked at this last year's uh, scenario, which was March of 23. Let's see, I'm going to, we're going to play another game here. 3,500 people registered for the test. Uh, You can either, now this one, you can give me percentage because I'm now I'm prepared. You can give me percentage or total passed of the 3,500 might be easier doing a percentage this time. What mm-hmm. was the March 2023 pass rate for the CFP exam? The pass rate. So how many people passed? Yeah. Based off of the tone of your voice, it doesn't sound positive. So I feel like 30% Okay. Passed. No, you're, you're a little low. You got to think higher. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to give you the number, which honestly, I want it to be 30%. Now that I have the the certification, I want it to be 10%. I want like no one to be able to get this and it becomes super yeah. exclusive, but that's just not the way it works. So last <laughs> March, the pass rate was 65%. So, oh. I mean, it's not fantastic. You know, a little more than half the people who took it actually passed the, the test. Yeah. I think they're trying to keep that that number low by increasing the the toughness of the questions. Um, when I tell when I tell you that percentage pass rate, how does that make you feel? Honestly, because I initially thought it was thirty percent, it makes me feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I am. The test makes me nervous, but and I I think I read when I when we were first looking it up that it's not three hours, like it's broken up into two three hours, so it's like a total of like six hours. Yeah, something like that. It, it's a I long... remember mine, again, it was paper in a room with a thousand other people. I think this day and age, it's like on a computer. But they yeah. gave us a, like a, a, um, a break between the, the sections. Like, but like once you 
close section one. You couldn't go back to revisit it. So like section one's done. And I think mm-hmm. I went out in the hallway and I just ran up and down the hallway as much as I could, like get all the <laughs> jitters out. I think it's, I've taken yeah. a lot of tests. I think I've taken nine proctored exams uh, through various types of testing that I had to take. I, I definitely agree. This was the one that I was, I'm not, <laughs> this is probably not the best advice. This is the one I was the most nervous for, for mm-hmm. some reason. Uh, and I think it was just the enormity of the test. It's like I said, it is so, it, you have an estate planning question about what a will or a trust is and how those work. And then you go right over to what, um, you know, a, 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 an option is or what the, uh, you know, some, some like very in-depth investment question. And I think kind of going back to what you said a moment ago, you're probably most nervous about investments. I would agree with that because it's very technical. And I think I've said this to you before, and I've certainly said it to Raina, is if when you're learning these topics for the first time, you spend a lot of time learning topics that are the most complex, but are probably tested the least on the exam. And mm-hmm. I think I give you the um, analogy or like the example of, of an option, right? What a stock option is. Learning what a stock option is, is actually a, quite a complex explanation. It was probably not even tested on, but if I spent all my time learning what a stock option was and I missed looking at the tax you know, things or, or, or some of the other basic questions, you, you lose out on the simple ones because you're focused on the hard ones and there's probably little to no questions on those topics to begin with, but they all have to yeah. be learned because these are all things that we come across on a daily basis. Um, yeah. So that part of it I know is is really, really difficult. And um, I, I'm i going to be here to support you guys. Yeah, well, I'm very, um, I'm very grateful. I was just thinking about this the other day that like, truthfully, I don't think I'd have the confidence to go into the CFP if I didn't have like my team backing me up and supporting me, you know, the way that you guys all have. And I don't want to speak for Raina, but I feel like, you know, her and I going into it together, it, it helps too, because, you know, we get to learn it together and, and study together and bounce ideas off of each other. And just, you know, it, to me, it just like brings such a, an ounce of confidence to me to like doing this. And like, I am like nervous about taking the test, like I said, but I know like having all of you guys, you're supporting us both and, you know, doing the trainings weekly and, and, you know, I think that'll, that'll be a huge help. And I do think it's, I think it's normal to be nervous for a big test like that. You know, I've probably taken not very many, like I'm thinking <laughs> back to like taking the FCAT in elementary school. And then like I had the SATs in high school, but like, I haven't taken like sat down for a super long period of time to take a test like this. Like I will the CFP and and so I am nervous for it, but I, I feel like I haven't even started my courses yet. So when that time comes, I feel like I'll be a lot more prepared. I think it would also be interesting too, to like do a podcast when I finish the courses right before or the during. test. I, yeah. I think we like, and I think we've talked about this before, like you and Raina come, you know, come on and talk about, you know, maybe midway through, like, here's what we've experienced up to this point and sort of continue the series. Cause again, we, we are asked all the time how does a family member get involved in, in the industry? And there just yeah. is not a track to doing so. And, and it's, it's like going to work for a company and then doing these type of things on the side to, to build up the the education and and at the same time doing the experience because experience is, is far more important than, than the letters after the name. But yeah. also that is important too, so that you are able to 
again, discuss all of these, these various areas of finance. Cause in these client meetings we have, and if you're a client listening to this, you know, you, you guys pepper questions at us about anything that's happening in your lives. And we have to be prepared to have a very good answer for it, or if not be able to go research it, we certainly don't know, don't know everything. Yeah. So yeah, I think I would love to continue that discussion with you guys, um, maybe in the middle and then, and then towards, towards the end. So let's talk, let's shift gears. What is the long-term vision here, right? So you, you, now you're a CFP, um, you've done your three years of industry, which really basically started from when you started working at Canterpath because that's industry experience. So you're at your third year, you throw the name on the back. What, what is the long-term track record as it stands today, which I know is certainly going to change over time. Where is it today at the beginning of this? So we can go back and look and be like either laughing at, oh my gosh, can you believe I wanted to do that? Or um, maybe say like, wow, what we said back in 2023 and now it's 2033 has really come to fruition. Where's the long-term tracker today? And don't worry, I won't hold you to it unless you want me to. (laughs) I feel like there's so many possibilities, you know, long-term with, you know, getting a CFP I definitely see myself in the future still working for Canterpath, you know, financial planner. (laughs) Like, I don't want to go anywhere. Jake has said so many times, like, Kinsey will probably still be working at her job and like, till she retires, (laughs) like she's never (laughs) leaving Canterpath. He was like, I don't think that normally happens. But yeah, so I definitely see myself at Canterpath for the long haul and, you know, building my own clientele, taking over certain clients that we we have today or the next generation of clients. I think that would be super cool. Raina and I've talked about, you know, t- us both just taking on the next generation of current clients we have. That would be the coolest thing ever, you know, just to keep that in-house in in the family. And and I just, I, that's, that's honestly my long-term goal is to be a financial planner like you and John next generation of clients just keep it running and, and never and never I stops. love that our, our clients want that you know they 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 love if they're here they they generally love what we stand for and what we do and mm-hmm. we currently do work with a lot of their kids and they're not sophisticated planning cases in a lot of in a lot of it it's more of just getting them set up and and introduce them to what they should be doing from a financial planning standpoint but yeah um, well i also want to say yeah, too because like you said in the beginning of this, you were 22 when you started out and like I'm 22 today. And just, I think that's kind of cool too, to see like, here you are 20 years from then, like you have the successful company, these clients, you have generations of clients too, like their children's that you're working with. And I think that's cool to see like where I'll be in 20 years, you know, like it's, it's kind of cool. I'll so. be, I'll be 60 at that point. I don't want to talk about where I'm going to be in 20 years. I'm going to be. I'm going to be the crotchety old man that I already am, um, but 20 years later, <laughs> and you'll have to put up with that. Um, well, this has been an awesome discussion. I'm so happy we got a chance to just kind of sit down and talk about it. If you know someone who is trying to enter in this profession and you're like, where do they begin? First of all, maybe share this podcast with them. Let them know, hey, there is a tract, and it really does revolve around what is arguably the largest and most prestigious designation in the financial planning profession. And really being able to incorporate all of these major areas. And, and when you look at, when you're looking for a financial planner, making sure you do look at the CFP designation as one of the gold standards, um, if not the gold standard in our industry, uh, when you're looking to work with a professional, do your due diligence. Um, you're able to look up all of our information on CFP 
cfpcollective.net. And you can go there and look up a CFP practitioner. Just check out their disciplinary history. Make sure that they're doing everything they're supposed to do, that they're up on their, their continuing education. Um, and just make sure you educate yourself with who you are working with as your financial advisor. On behalf of myself, the Rich B, Mr. John Kennedy, the Prez, thank you so much for listening to our show today. Please check us out. You can check out our Candor Path 365 on Alexa. You can check us out on YouTube uh, and on Facebook. We love to interact with all of our fans. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome day.